Today, Pastor Tim out of the Northwest Campus and I are starting a new series of sermons in which we are talking a lot about vineyards and vines and wine. And you might wonder why we're going to talk a lot about vineyards and vine, vines and wine in church. And the reason is pretty simple. Did you know that vineyards, vines, and wine are spoken of more than 300 times in the Bible? We just finished a series of sermons on, on Peter, the apostle. And in that series, we learned that Peter is spoken of about 200 times in the Bible. But vineyards, vine, and wine over 300 times, that's a lot of vine and wine talk. <laughs> but the reason for it is, is really important. Back in biblical times, vineyards, vines, and wine were a basic part of life. Almost everybody drank wine, and the reason was because the water wasn't always safe. People could get sick from the water. And so, wine was a really important thing for, for, the, for life back in those days. People who had land capable of growing vines would set aside a portion of their land for a little vineyard. And it didn't take a whole lot of land to produce enough grapes, enough wine for a family for a year. A tenth of an acre of land was capable of producing, in our way of thinking, about 150 bottles of wine, a tenth of an acre. Back then, the wine would be watered down at a rate of two parts water to one part wine. So 150 bottles equaled 450 bottles of wine, enough for a family for a whole year. If, if a family did not have land or didn't have land that could support a vineyard, they knew somebody who did, family or friends, and so they'd help out in somebody else's vineyard in order to make certain to meet their own needs. Pretty much everybody knew about vineyards and about vines and about wine, which is why the Bible talks about it so much, because everybody understood vineyards and vines and wine, making it a great metaphor to help us think about other things in life that are really, really important. The Bible's references to, to vineyards, vines, wine, is often metaphors to help us think about God, about our lives, about what's most important in life. It does so using the language that folks would have understood back then. With that, we're going to listen to two scriptures today, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, both of which use a vineyard as a metaphor. So, Bill, will you read for us? Our first um, reading comes from the um, Isaiah 5, 1 and 2. It's the song of the unfruitful vineyard. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine vat, a wine vat in it. He expected to yield it to yield grapes, but it yield, yielded wild grapes. 
Our next reading is from Matthew 21, 33, and 34. It's the parable of the wicked tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time came, had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay. Thank you, Bill. And uh, if you'd noticed in the bulletin, actually Bill's wife Sharon is supposed to be our liturgist for today. Um, Bill, you're a great replacement. Sharon's better, but you're a great replacement. <laughs> no, just kidding. But, but do keep Sharon in prayer because she's not feeling well uh, at all, so she could use some prayers. With that, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I love how that passage from Isaiah begins. I sing, it begins, I meaning Isaiah. So Isaiah sings, sings to his loved one. Who's his loved one? God. So Isaiah sings to God a love song. And then it goes on concerning God's vineyard. So what does a vineyard represent? Okay, so if we read a little further down in the passage, we find out that the vineyard represents Israel, the chosen people of God. Vineyard, as a metaphor, in the New Testament, expands to include those of us who have been adopted, adopted into the chosen people of God. In other words, the church. So Isaiah sings a love song to God concerning the people of God, concerning the church. We are God's vineyard. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. It's the kind of thing that's easy to miss. But up here on our communion table, around our pulpit, we have some decorative woodwork, and it's all of vines and grapes. It's an ever-present reminder that we are God's vineyard. The passage from Isaiah ends with a statement that God planted the vineyard expecting, expecting is a strong word, expecting that it would bear good fruit, produce good wine. Now, there's a lot that goes into producing good flavored grapes. Are any of you here familiar with uh, the French word terroir? Maybe a few. Those of you who no wine, you may be familiar with that word. Terroir is kind of a hard word to define, but it has to do with the constants that actually influence the flavor of a grape. So, for example, the sum of the soil content, the elevation, the slope of the vineyard, the sun exposure, the climate of the area, the sum of all of these things influence what the grapes are going to taste like, and therefore what the wine will taste like, and that's the terroir. It strikes me that if we're the vineyard, we must have a terroir too, right? So, you know, what is our 
terroir. Every church has one. If you visited around a lot of churches, you probably pick up on how different the terroir might be. Sometimes you can notice it very quickly upon entering the church. Sometimes the soil or the sunlight of a church, that stuff that goes into the flavor of the fruit of the church, isn't particularly healthy. And the wine can be pretty sour. Sometimes it's healthy and it tastes pretty good. When I was a district superintendent, there was a church in the district. Some of you heard this story before where it was primarily elderly folks and they complained a lot that they didn't have children with families. One Sunday I was worshiping with them and a new family with children came to worship. After the service, I saw the leaders of the church kind of huddled in the middle aisle talking and I, and I thought, okay, they're talking about how to welcome this family and make them feel at home. As I got a little closer, nope. What I heard them saying was, they were complaining, afraid that the kids would sell, spill punch on their carpeting. This was a church that had a bad terroir. It needed a little bit more sunlight, a little more sun exposure. And by that, I mean sun, S-O-N, a little more sun exposure, because the fruit or the wine that it was producing was sour. There's another church. I, one day, the pastor announced a particular hymn, and the organist blurted out, No, I'm not going to play that because I don't like that song. <laughs> I told Voltaire at the last service not to get any ideas about this, okay? <laughs> but, but the congregation seemed to be okay with that. Now, this was a church that needed a little bit of soil work. It had a bad terroir. It, it, yeah, it, it, it was producing some sour wine. And I tell these stories not to set <clears throat> this church apart as if to say, but look how great we are, because the reality is that no church is perfect. No church is perfect. Desert Spring would do well to pay attention to the soil work that we need, and we could certainly benefit from some more sun exposure. No church is perfect, but one of the strengths of this church is that we pay attention to our terroir. We pay attention to those conditions out of which fruit is born. We usually use the language of culture when we talk about it, but as we look at the soil of our church out of which ministries grow, it includes things like hope, that our best days are before us. The greatest harvest is yet to come. And trust, we trust in God that God will provide for the vineyard. We trust in each other. Joy, we enjoy life together. In inclusion, we believe that every person can contribute to the vineyard and all people, all means all. And we're always outwardly looking. We know that, that the fruit of the labor of this vineyard doesn't just belong to us, but it's here for the sharing for others too. That's kind of the soil of, of our terroir. But when you add to that our stories of people coming to the faith, our baptisms, when you add to that the stories of answered prayers, the stories of miracles we've experienced, all those stories of how we experience God at work in our midst, our terroir does produce some good wine. We feed the hungry. We're getting ready to do a, another food drive here now for, v, for the veterans of foreign war, post-149. 
Last month, we, re- we brought in about $10,000 for our Sandy Valley mission. We feed the hungry. We help homeless families out of homelessness. Tonight, we start hosting another round of homeless families, another group of homeless families in our partnership with Family Promise. If you want to sign up, you can do so on the wall as you leave. We not only do that, but we also help with childhood literacy here in Las Vegas, providing books and mentors through our partnership with Spread the Word Nevada. We advocate for changes, uh, systemic changes in our community that is for the well-being of all people through our partnership with Nevadans for the Common Good. We care for each other in lots of ways, and we give, and we give, and we give. This is the fruit of our terroir. This is the fruit that we offer to God as the vineyard of God. But now, if we're the vineyard, then each one of us individually are a vine in that vineyard. We're only as strong as the individual vines, right, as a vineyard. We're only as strong as the individual vines. And each one of us has our own soil out of which we've grown, like our own terroir. For each of us, our terroir could, could vary greatly. For some of us, it includes our family systems, the people who've been a part of our lives, the saints who've gone before us and the blessings they've brought to us, but also the people who have been hurtful. We carry that with us too. Our terroir can include the things that we listen to, the people we associate with, our, the music we pay attention to, the movies that we watch. Our terroir can include the habits that we've picked up along the way, the brokenness that we choose to carry with us throughout our lives. But one of the things that makes us different from those vines in a vineyard is that our terroir can be changed. Ours can be changed. We can choose to fill our minds with the things of God and the fruit of our lives becomes a little sweeter. With God's help, we can change habits and the fruit of our lives becomes a little sweeter. By the grace of God, brokenness in our lives can be healed and the fruit of our lives becomes a little bit sweeter. I've had this experience too many times in my ministry where people have come to me to talk because they've been deeply hurt by somebody in their past, but have been unable to find a way to forgive the person for that insult, that hurt. And when we hang on to that kind of brokenness, that kind of pain throughout the years, the soil of our lives starts turning a little bit to clay. It impacts the fruit that we're able to bear. Forgiveness turns that clay into rich soil and a much more abundant harvest. It's why Jesus talks so much about the importance of things like forgiveness, like not judging other people, not condemning other people, but showing mercy and kindness to other people. Because when we do these things, not only do other people benefit, but also it changes our terroir. And we ourselves bear better fruit for the kingdom of God. In Isaiah, at the end of the passage we heard read, we hear that God expects us to bear good fruit. The complaint of Isaiah was that they were bearing sour fruit, but God expects us to bear good fruit. And the kind of fruit that our lives are able to produce 
is many. There's lots of different kinds of grapes, lots of different kinds of fruit that we bear. But in Isaiah, two of the grapes are named. Our lives are to bear the fruit of justice. And our lives are to bear the fruit of righteousness. It's what God expects of us. The biblical understanding of justice is that we protect the rights of the most vulnerable who are so easily, are so often the victims of injustice. So it causes me to wonder, who are the people we know who are most vulnerable, whose rights need protecting? The biblical understanding of righteousness is to do the right thing, to do good. It shows itself in acts of mercy and acts of kindness and acts of charity. And so it makes me wonder, who are the people Where are the opportunities that we have to do right by other people? The fruit of the vineyard that God expects. As I think about all of the, you know, these two passages of Scripture, but a lot of other Scriptures about vineyards in the Bible, my mind just kind of gets filled with two driving questions. One of them has to do with our terroir. Mine, yours, What is the stuff of my life that is flavoring the fruit that I'm producing? Is it the things of God? Is it church? Is it the Bible? Is it prayer? Is it sisters and brothers in Christ? Or is it something else? Another question that comes to my mind is, what is the fruit that I'm producing that we are producing? Is it the fruit of justice, of righteousness? If not, the scriptures are clear that God wants to help us, that God will work that kind of change in our lives, that we bear better fruit for the kingdom. And if so, if our lives are are producing that kind of fruit, well, then our lives become like a love song sung to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.